Well, good morning again, everyone. I'm Dave, one of the elders here. Our lead pastor, Dane, is traveling, visiting family this weekend. So I'm going to fill in for him. Have you ever had a time when you've wondered about the faith of someone else? Or were they still walking with God? Maybe you haven't talked to them in a while. You're curious about how they've been doing in their faith. Maybe it was a ministry you were involved with in the past, or you helped invest in, and you're wondering, how is it doing right now? I had a couple of these experiences recently. A couple weeks ago, I was at a large conference, and I ran into someone as I was coming out of the bathroom. This guy said, hey, Dave. I was like, hey. He's like, my name is Matthew. You, a number of years ago, when we used to go to a different church, we both were at the same church, the church, Hope Fellowship Church, that helped plant Beacon, he said, you gave to my church plan. And we, were, we didn't have much time, but I said, Matthew, is that church still running? He said, yes, it is. And I, I, was, I was encouraged. I was encouraged. And I, I checked up on their website. They're, they're serving the Lord in Oklahoma City. And so I was thankful for how God was continuing that ministry. I also had an experience a number of years ago where I mentored college students at a few campuses and universities around this area, Bentley, Brandeis, Babson College. And this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I texted a number of them. And, and just told them, I was thinking of them, prayed for them, asked them, how are you doing in your faith? And I kind of checked up on them online as well. One guy works for a seminary. That was really encouraging. He's continuing to live out his faith in a broader context. One guy texted back, said, want to catch up, pray for my new baby, pray for my job situation. So he's still thinking of the Lord wanting to pray. It was encouraging to hear. Today we're going to see Paul, and he had a concern for the Thessalonian church. How are they doing? Were they walking with God? Where were they at in their faith? And so we had sent Timothy to hear about how that church was, and we're, today we're going to read a report that uh, Timothy gave back and, and what that spoke about. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. In the pages provided for you, it's on page 987. If you don't have a Bible today, we would love to give you one. There are some hardback Bibles in the entryway there, black covered, feel free to take one as our gift to you. This sermon series we've titled, Power for Life, Hope in Death. And we're going to see how those themes show up in this passage as well. So read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is a very personal passage. As Paul had sent out Timothy to the Thessalonians, to check on them. He was concerned about how they were doing. They didn't have text messages in that day. 
They needed to send out an emissary to talk to people and report back. And Timothy now had reported back. Paul was encouraged to hear about their faith. But even this, with this very specific, very personal, very occasional passage, we can pull out some themes that apply to our lives today. So I'm going to break this down into three sections as we look at the text. The first area we're going to talk about is standing fast in the Lord. Then we'll talk about supplying the faith of others. And last, we're going to talk about loving by the power of God. And through all these themes, all these implied commandments in this passage, we're going to see a need for us to depend on God, a need for us to do these things not by our own power, but by the power of God that we can access through prayer. So let's look first at standing fast in the Lord. We look at verses 6 through 8. Paul says in verse 6 that Timothy had brought you us the news of your faith and love. Well, what do we mean by faith here? Let, let's zoom out a little bit in the story of Scripture and talk about what this faith was that's implied in this passage. We, as a church, just recently finished a study on the early chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11. We saw there how God created the entire universe, how God created people to be in a right relationship with him. He wanted a connection with people, wanted people to obey him, follow him, but Adam and Eve, and all of us, descended from them, have failed to follow God. It's just as Dylan spoke about. We've all sinned. We've all disobeyed God, all fallen short of his glory. And as a result of that, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve separation from him. But God came to earth as Jesus, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and offers forgiveness for everyone who had put their faith in Jesus. So Paul, when he says faith here, he's referring back to that whole Christian message of Jesus, what he's done, the sacrifice that he made on the cross, and how the Thessalonians were putting their trust in Jesus. What about this second part, love? He, Paul seems to connect the two. He's like, your faith and love, as if they're part of the same package, because they are. Trusting in Jesus isn't just an intellectual checkbox. You say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. He rose from the dead. I'm forgiven for my sins. No, Jesus wants you to follow him. Jesus called people not just to believe in him intellectually, but to orient their entire lives to trusting in him. And Jesus, when he commanded people about what are God's key commandments, he said it's to love God, to love other people. Love is really a summary of the entire Christian life. So Paul is saying, in effect, I'm thankful that you're still believing in Jesus, but I'm also thankful that you're still living that out. You're still evidencing that with your lives, with your love. But notice Paul didn't really take it as a given that they would be doing this. We see, if we look back just in, in chapter 3, towards the end of verse 5, he says, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, he wanted to visit them in person, but he was He's having some difficulty doing that. There was opposition in, in Thessalonica. He said, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul evidently had a level of concern about the Thessalonians. He had spent three weeks there. We read about that in Acts 17, how Paul had preached three consecutive Sabbaths in the synagogue there. A number of people had believed, but then there was opposition from some of the Jewish leaders there. They stirred up a riot, and the civil authorities actually asked Paul to leave Thessalonica. 
So he was experiencing opposition and difficulty with trying to come back there, and he had concern about the believers there. He, he was a little worried about it. Now, let's be clear about this. It's not possible for someone who generally has faith in Jesus to lose that salvation. Why is that? Because as we talked about earlier, what pays the penalty for our sins and what gives us eternal life is Jesus' death on the cross. It's not something we can earn on our own. It's not that by doing good works we get to heaven and that by stopping to do good works we lose our place in heaven. It's not, it's not like that at all. Instead, our eternal life, our salvation, is based on Jesus and what he did. So for someone who's genuinely following Christ, we can't, by failure to live out our, our walk with God perfectly, to continued sin that we're doing, we're not going to lose our salvation. But in this life... There are people who go to church for a while. There are people who identify as a Christian for a while, and they may turn away. It's a, it's a discouraging reality. What, what scripturally we would say is that there was never a genuine experience of God, never a genuine faith there. But we can't always tell with our own eyes. We aren't always sure. And so Paul was experiencing some concern with the Thessalonians. Where, where are they really going? Where's, where are they ending up? Jesus talked about this in Matthew 13 with a parable of a sower. There was a sower who went out to sow seed. Some of the seed fell on good soil. Some of it fell among thorns or in rocky places where it grew up, but then it was choked out by the cares of the world, by the deceitfulness of wealth, or by tribulation and difficulty. Perhaps you've wondered in your own life, what is it going to take for me to stand fast in the Lord through challenges I might have, doubts I might have, questions, difficulties. Paul was so encouraged in verse 8 that the Thessalonians were standing fast in the Lord. They were holding on to their faith, their walk with Him. This passage can actually give us several clues of what it looks like practically to stand fast in the Lord. So one of them we can see here, verse 7, Paul says, "'For this reason, brothers,' That word brothers doesn't just mean men, but brothers and sisters, the community of faith. Paul's addressing not just an individual, but a church, a collective body that was connected together, worshiping God together in close relationship together. That community of faith is part of the key way that God can allow us to stand fast in Him over the long haul. Here at Beacon, as we do a membership covenant, for those of you who've become members or you're considering membership, one of the lines of that covenant says that we're going to exercise a loving care and accountability with one another. So this idea is that by committing to a church body, you say, I want these people to help me continue in my walk with God, to help me if I fall into sin, if I fall into doubts, if I'm afraid, if I'm, I'm drifting, that they'll pull me back in. That's the idea of a community, one of the key ways that God uses to help us remain fast in the Lord. Another area we talked about earlier, the outworking of love. Our faith needs to be exercised in action. If you're just thinking about your walk with God as an abstract concept, it's not a way to really remain steadfast. God wants us to exercise our faith so it doesn't atrophy. And then last, there's an aspect of enduring difficulty and affliction. Paul talked about that he, for himself, he says in verse 7, in all our distress and affliction. So as Paul was experiencing difficulty in his life, he was encouraged by fellow believers. This connects back to the community that 
part of what it means to remain steadfast in the Lord is continuing to walk with Him, even when hard things happen. My wife and I had a miscarriage in between uh, our son Titus and our son Seth. It was a really sad, difficult time, but it was a time when people from our church were able to come pray with us. My wife and I were able to pray together, write some prayers to God. It's difficult situations, whether a life situation like that, whether it's opposition you're getting with your faith, to have other believers be able to encourage you is a key way of remaining steadfast. But it all connects back to being in community with God and with other people. So we've seen this first area, remaining steadfast in the Lord. Now we're going to talk about the next one, which is supplying the faith of others. So let's look at how Paul continues. He says, so encouraged about their faith. Then in verse 9, he begins to talk about how he's responding to that in prayer to God. He says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Paul was so encouraged by their support from Timothy. They're continuing in their faith. They're continuing steadfastly. And what's Paul's response? It's thanksgiving to God. It's joy. He's excited. He's happy. It's like, all right, this church that I planted, that I was involved with, they're still going. They're still walking with God. They're standing steadfast in the faith. I'm praying. I'm thanking God for that. I'm happy, rejoicing. But Paul does something else. He also prays. He prays in verse 10. He prays most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Okay, so they had faith, but something was lacking. What does that mean? Did they not believe strongly enough in Jesus? I don't think that's what Paul was saying here. There's saving faith where we say, Jesus, I trust in you. I accept you to forgive me for my sins. I want to orient my life to you. That's not something you need to muscle up on your own. This is God's work in you. This is his grace to draw you to himself. And even our ongoing faith is always God's work in us. This is our series has talked about. It's power for life, power of God. But there's an aspect in which we can grow in our faith as God continues to work in us. We can grow in how we live that out, how we live that out in love towards God, love towards other people. And Paul was saying here, I know you're walking with God. I know you're standing steadfast, but I want to help you grow even more. I want to be there. I want to supply what's lacking. I want to shore you up. So let's think about that in our own lives. As we think about the faith of others, how often do we take it for granted? Oh, this person's a believer. It's good to pray for people who don't know Christ. Pray that God would draw them to faith in him. That's, that's key. But it's also appropriate to say, thank you, Lord, for this person I know who's following you. I'm encouraged by what they're doing. We can pray prayers of thanksgiving for fellow believers who are continuing to follow Christ. And if you're not a Christian today, we're so glad you're here. I want to ask you to reflect a little bit. What, what gives you your source of joy? And do you have a loving community that can care for your life? Jesus wants to be the anchor of your joy and the anchor of a loving community for you. I know the church is broken. We don't always live out that type of community the way we should. But Jesus wants to be your source of joy, your source of community. And we see that here with Paul. He's 
happy about the faith of others. He's in community. He's rejoicing about their faith. And then supplying what is lacking in their faith. How do we think about that? Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So again, we see with Jesus this idea of teaching people to obey what I've commanded you, continuing to grow in their faith. How do we do that practically? Here we just have Paul asking a question, but it's helpful for us to to say, what does it look like to supply what's lacking in the faith of others? This is really the flip side of standing fast in the Lord. So we talked in the first point about standing fast in the Lord ourselves and letting other people exercise care and accountability in our life. We think about supplying what is lacking in the faith of others. That's how do we encourage others? How do we help them grow in their faith? Well, one area we can see from this passage is the importance of prayer. Paul didn't say, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm really trying. He says, I'm praying day and night. So Paul was involving God in his ministry. He wasn't just thinking, hey, I want to go make this happen. He was thinking, how do I pray? How do I ask God to open a door for me? And as we think about seeking to care for others, perhaps you're in a situation where you have led a a small group before. Maybe you've gone on walks with someone, listened to how they're doing, asked for their prayer requests. It can become formulaic. It can be tempting to think, all right, I'm going to be able to help this person grow in their faith if they just reply to my text message, or if I could just find a date to set up with them. That's good. We need to do those things, but it's important to also pray, to say, God, would you work in this situation? Would you work in this person's life? Would you bring about an opportunity for me to connect with them? And would you help them grow? Dependence on God is key. Another area we see implied here is the importance of face-to-face ministry. Certainly in our our modern area, we have more opportunities for remote ministry than than Paul did. And text messages, video calls, phone calls, chats, letters, all these things are great. In fact, 1 Thessalonians, this book we're holding is Paul doing distance coaching. He's, he's sending a letter because he couldn't be there in person. So Paul was using remote communication in his day. So it's certainly biblical to use remote communication because a lot of the New Testament is remote communication, right? But Paul here is also saying face-to-face is even better. I'll tell you a little story about that. Not quite face-to-face, but as I was preparing to, to serve with this campus ministry I talked about, I, I was just graduating college, and I was sending out letters to people in my church as well as family members to invite them to give to the work that I was doing. I was going to Berlin, Germany to tell students about Christ and help develop a ministry there. And my grandfather, who's not a believer, well, he, he's since passed away, but he, he wasn't a believer, and some of my aunts and uncles had received these letters. I don't think I actually sent one to my grandfather, but he got, he got word of it. And he sent me an email, he said, Dave, are you raising money for your trip to Germany? Didn't I tell you not to change anyone's beliefs? And I, I, I wasn't particularly surprised by this email, but I was kind of disappointed by it. And, and what I did is I, I just, rather than replying to the email, I just picked up the phone and I called my grandfather. And, and all of a sudden on the phone, he was all soft-spoken and he didn't seem so harsh about it. There's something about face-to-face communication and, and, and it kind of accelerating the closeness of the relationship. It lets you get into harder topics. And it, it can be easy to just try to hide behind an email or a tweet, a message. But when you see someone face-to-face, you're having a real connection with them. 
And so as you think about ministering to others, helping them grow in their faith, there's no substitute for spending time with someone in person, listening to how are they doing, how can the scripture apply in their life, and then praying with them. So we've seen in this passage so far, this implications, we should stand fast in the Lord, verses 6 through 8, 9 through 10, we talked about supplying the faith of others. Now let's look at the last portion as we look into verses 11 through 13, loving by the power of God. In verse 11, Paul makes a switch. So at the start of the passage, he was just saying, hey, we heard this report, we're so encouraged. Then he talks about his prayers, we're praying for you day and night, that we could come, that we could supply what is lacking your faith. Now in verse 11, he just switches to praying right there in the letter. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase in abounded love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Notice how Paul addresses God. He says, our God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is... is making a connection to God. He's saying, we have a relationship with God. This is ultimately through Jesus, as we talked about. But isn't it amazing to think about the God who created the entire universe, who modeled everything, all the stars, the oceans, the animals, the beauty, the interconnectedness of everything. This, this being that created all of this, we can have a relationship with him. We can have a personal connection to God. We also see a distinction here. He talks about God the Father and our Lord Jesus two separate persons of God, but in a relationship together. In, in earlier in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 10, he talks about waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So even in an early letter of the church, like 1 Thessalonians, we can see a clear teaching that Jesus is God. Jesus is God the Son. And this, this together helps us understand the Trinity. God has three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all one God, three persons. So we see Paul addressing God in a, in a very personal, connected way. And then what, is, what does Paul pray for? He prays that the Thessalonians would abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. So this builds on that same theme. Paul was encouraged to hear about their love, but it's not that they had totally arrived. Paul wanted to see that love grow. He wanted to see it increase. He wanted to see it abound. He wanted to help with that. He wanted to help supply what was lacking. But most of all, he knew that God was the one who could do it. So he was praying, God, would you help them to increase abound in love? How about your own life? Would you say that you are increasing and abounding in love? I'll tell you one area in, in my life. I, I really love to have free time, which every, I, I, probably everybody loves to have free time. But what, it, what that means is different for different people. For me, usually when I think of free time, I'm imagining a nice, cool, quiet room. I'm in front of the computer. No one's bothering me. I'm like optimizing something or organizing something. Um, and, and I can sometimes have a temptation to think, I just want to get in that zone, my happy place by myself, and I don't want anybody to stop me. I don't want to spend time listening to someone else, connecting with them. It, it can be a temptation. My wife can tell you, tell you more about that. But what, <clears throat> what is it for you? I, I don't mean to say it's, it's not wrong to have time for ourselves, to, to be alone, to organize things. But we all have a temptation to prioritize ourselves, what we want to get done, 
our goals, our agenda, instead of thinking about the needs of others around us. But God can work in our hearts. And, and ultimately, we can't manufacture abounding, increasing love. People are just too annoying, and our hearts are too broken. If you just try to love people on your own, if you just think, I'm going to try harder tomorrow, you're going to run into an annoying person. You're running into a difficult situation. You're going to be hungry. You're going to be tired. Um, so what we ultimately need to say is, God, would you work in my heart? Would you help me to abound in love? When I'm hungry, when I'm tired, when I'm annoyed, would you help me to care for this person? And then also to think more proactively, not only the people in your lives you may interact with, but how, how can our love uh, take on feet, take on action? Jesus said his two greatest commandments are loving God, loving other people. But Jesus gave a little more detail for that. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. God doesn't want us just to love him intellectually, to think, oh yeah, I, I love God, I, I'm, I'm for that. God wants us to love him with our heart, with our strength, with our mind, with our time, with our energy, with our money, to give generously to God, to invest in his kingdom, to spend time sharing his, the gospel with others, to risk our reputation in doing that. And then loving your neighbor, Jesus was asked, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Um, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, someone who gave generously across ethnic and religious divisions, a very difficult act in that situation. So as we think about loving others, abounding in love, what are proactive areas where we need to love more generously, more sacrificially to God? And then how about generously to others? may not be easy, but it comes back then to asking God to empower us. Lord, would you empower me in my giving of my time, giving of my resources, of stepping out in my reputation to identify as a Christian and to share my faith with others. Notice then at the end, what does Paul say? He prays for them to abound in love with one another, not only for each other, also for all. So we're called not only to love people in the church, but to love everyone outside of the church. That's important to remember. And Paul says, verse 13, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So Paul's prayer is not only that they would abound in love, but that God would establish their hearts in holiness. So was the, was the love that they were going to do, was that going to somehow earn holiness with God? Well, no, we've been talking about multiple times now, we, we can't earn our way to God. We can't by doing lots of good deeds of love, we can't manufacture a relationship with God or get up to him. It's ultimately Jesus, his death on the cross, that gives us holiness. But God wants us to grow us in that expression, and he's going to complete that finally at the end of our lives or the return of Christ. So Paul is speaking about the ongoing growth of their love and the culmination of it in the final work of Christ. And it's appropriate also for us to, to pray this prayer for others, to say, how can we be praying for the growth in love and the ultimate growth in holiness of people we may know? There can be practical steps you can think about how to pray for others, perhaps making a list of people in your Bible. I have a jar I just set up with um, little names of people at Beacon. So during dinner time, I can pull somebody out, pray for them. 
there can be practical ways to say, God, how can I pray for the believers in my life, that they would abound in love, that they would experience holiness on that final day before Jesus? Paul then highlights here this, this coming of Jesus with all his saints. Jesus came once. It's been historically documented. He rose from the dead. There are eyewitnesses of that who preserved their testimony in the New Testament. And so today, if you aren't a believer in Jesus, I would encourage you to make today the day that you put your faith in him, that you commit your life to following him. Because the time is short. Whether it's the end of your life or it's the coming of Christ, there's a limited period of time to make that decision. And if you are a believer in, in Christ today, I would encourage you to think about the return of Christ. It's emphasized multiple times in Thessalonians. As you look through the different chapters, Paul often comes back to it at the end to say, as we're waiting for Christ, as we're looking for his coming, it's a reality that we should be thinking about and orating our lives towards. And it, it highlights sort of the limited period of time that we have. I had talked about some of those college students I'd, I'd reached out to, texted. There was one who texted me back who said, Dave, around the time of the lockdown, I stopped believing. I'm, I'm no longer a Christian. Uh, I was disappointed to hear that. Uh, I, I, I wasn't entirely surprised, but I, I was disappointed to hear that. And I texted him back, and, and he was open to catching up, though. I told him I would love to hear his story, and we're going to uh, try to get a, a, a meal together in the next few days. He lives, lives in Brighton. So we have a limited time. The time is short to walk with God, to share our faith with others, and to believe in him, if you haven't already. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for this church in Thessalonica. We thank you, Lord, that they did stand fast in their faith and had this positive report through Timothy um, God, I, I pray for us here at Beacon, for all those who know you here. Lord, I pray that we would stand fast in you, that many years later when people check up on us, uh, whether Beacon Community Church is still going, whether the people here are still trusting in you, Lord, I pray that they would uh, hear a good report. Uh, Lord, I pray we would stand fast in you to, to, to that final day. Lord, I pray we would be people who supply the faith of others. God, that we look not only to what we can do with our own time, our own goals, our own agenda, but we think, who's someone in my life I can care for? Perhaps a small group that I can join, people I can pray with, invest in, Lord, to, to grow in you together. I pray that we would be people who supply the faith of others. And Lord, I pray we'd be people who love by your power. Lord, recognizing we, we can't manufacture love. We can't make ourselves act kindly in every circumstance. You have to do that, God. And we, we often have fears or greed or hesitations when it comes to uh, giving to your work, when it comes to sharing our faith with others. Lord, I pray that we would, um, by your power, push through that, Lord. We can't manufacture it, but you can do it in our hearts. Lord, I pray we'd be people who love bountifully those, both those in our church and those outside through your power. We commit this to you in your name. Amen.